Turn with me to the gospel according to Mark. We'll come to the 16th chapter in verse number 9. I have a note or two I would like to read as you are finding your place in the gospel according to Mark. This note comes to us this morning from Casey Schmidt. Over the course of my struggles, I have felt the prayers of many. I want to express how much I appreciate every card, text, phone call, words of encouragement, also for those who provided meals for my family and the beautiful flowers sent my way. All of this was a great encouragement to me. It is through all these things God's love was felt by your kindness or your kind thoughtfulness, rather. Thank you from the bottom of my heart, Casey Schmidt. And then we're happy this morning that Rhonda Moni is here with us. Rhonda, we've been praying for you and your family, and uh, we know God has given you great comfort. Also, Ina Dustman is here, and Shelly, and all of their family. Miss Dustman, we've been praying for you. And I have a, a card here uh, that I would like to read. This card was written by Bob Dustman, who is now with the Lord, but a wonderful homegoing service for him on Wednesday. And he wrote this note to me after he returned home from the uh, rehab center. And I wanted to read it to you, and I think it's, uh, perhaps I'm a little late in reading it, but I think the timing really of reading it now is better than had I read it to you earlier. It says, Dear Pastor and Tabernacle family, I finally am home (laughs) after 28 days in the hospital and rehab. I'm getting much stronger, and I'm able to get around. Thank you for the use of the wheelchair. It's my mode of transportation. I cannot begin to express my thanks and gratitude for all the cards, texts, phone calls. Pastor, your messages were and are such an encouragement to me. I love my pastor and my church. Thank you for the wonderful dish garden. You sent me everyone in therapy comments on how pretty it was or is. Still will not be in church for a while. Look forward so much to being back uh, in the services. Bob Dustman. And uh, we'll look forward to seeing him again. Amen. Amen. And what a service it will be. A service unlike any we've experienced and encountered. Uh, Ronnie Stevens, who's had back surgery and been out for a while, was back with us this morning at 8.30. And... uh, We're rejoicing in that. We're in Mark chapter number 16 this morning in verse number 9. We're grateful to have the Smith family with us this morning, Brother Dwight and Amber, and uh, we're excited they're here. Uh, Just like a typical evangelist, he's always late for church, but that's okay. No, he had a long drive. I'm glad he's here. We love Brother Smith and his family, don't we? And thank God for them, and grateful they've joined us this morning. Mark chapter 16 and verse number 9. Now, when Jesus was risen early, the first day of the week, he answered, uh, he appeared rather first to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. And she went and told them that had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, believed not. After that, he appeared in another form unto two of them as they walked and went into the country. They went and told it unto the residue, neither 
believed they them. Afterward, he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. And he said unto them, Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. He that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils, and they shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. They shall lay hands on the sick, and they shall recover. So then, after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God. And they went forth and preached everywhere. I love that statement, don't you? They went forth and preached everywhere. I love this next statement. In fact, if you underline things in your Bible, I would encourage you to underline this phrase, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father, we do love you, and we thank you yet again for the privilege of assembling together as your people. We thank you that you have raised us up and seated us together with you in heavenly places. And so in these moments, I pray that we would be most aware of you and your word and most open and sensitive to the voice of the Holy Spirit. And I pray that you would be our teacher. Open to us the scriptures. Reveal to us your precious truth. Help us to respond and obey with a willing heart. In Jesus' name, amen. In verse number nine, the Bible said, now when Jesus was risen. I want to speak to you on that subject this morning. When Jesus was risen. I'm glad we serve a risen Savior. And here at Christmas time, we're celebrating the birth of the Savior and remembering his birth, but it didn't stop there. We think and, and praise God for his wonderful life, his life of righteousness. In that life, he revealed to us who he is, the Son of God. We're thankful for his substitutionary death on the cross. He made the payment for our sin. We're thankful for his glorious resurrection, which verifies his claims of deity, which secures our victory over death and hell in the grave and gives us hope in life everlasting, when Jesus was risen. You see, this is not the end of the story. This is just the beginning of the story. And may it be the beginning of our story as we acknowledge the resurrected Savior. Now, three things happen here in this passage. I want to speak to you on each of them. Uh, first of all, we're going to see that Jesus confronted the disciples for their unbelief. He confronted them. Secondly, we're going to see that he commissioned the disciples to preach the gospel. And finally, we're going to see that he continued with the disciples to confirm his word. Let's note, first of all, that he confronted the disciples for their unbelief. Look again with me, if you would, please, in verse number nine. Now, when Jesus was risen early the first day of the week, he appeared first to Mary Magdalene, of, uh, out of whom, rather, he had cast seven devils. She went and told them that he had been with him as they mourned and wept. And they, when they had heard that he was alive and had been seen of her, 
believed not. Verse number 12, after that he appeared in another form unto the two of them as they walked and went into the country, and they went and told it unto the residue, neither believed they them. Afterward he appeared unto the eleven as they sat at meat and upbraided them with their unbelief and hardness of heart, because they believed not them which had seen him after he was risen. Three times in these verses we note that the Bible tells us that the disciples, having heard eyewitness reports from those who saw the resurrected Savior, when they heard those reports, they believed not. And so the first work of the risen Savior was to confront his disciples with their unbelief. Now the Bible gives us the account of two appearances of the Lord to his disciples. First, to Mary Magdalene, out of whom he had cast seven devils. Mary was going to meet Mary, the mother of James and Salome, at the tomb that morning, and perhaps she arrived a bit earlier than the, er, the other two ladies. And when she got there, she saw that the stone was rolled away, and she was given the report that the Savior uh, had arisen. And she went to tell the disciples uh, while Mary, the mother of James and Salome, were coming to meet her, uh, Mary Magdalene had left the scene going to tell the disciples that Jesus had risen. And the Bible says that they, in the midst of their mourning, verse 10, and their weeping, they did not believe her report. Uh, I can imagine that she came to the grave mourning and weeping that morning. But when she saw the stone had been rolled away. And when she saw the Savior, she, uh, her, her tears and her weeping were replaced with joy. And no doubt, maybe there were some dry tears upon her cheek and, and red eyes, but now there was light and joy in her face as she told them in the midst of their weeping, in the midst of their mourning, in the midst of their uh, suffering and sorrow, he is alive. But they did not believe then the Bible tells us that he appeared to two on the road to Emmaus. And I want us to visit that passage in Luke 24, if you'd turn there with me. In verse number 13, we see this second appearance that Mark records for us here in Mark 16. And we find, uh, a, a more, uh, we find more insight into that appearance in Luke 24 and verse number 13. The Bible says in verse 13, And behold, two of them went that same day to a village called Emmaus, which was from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs. So here we are on Resurrection Sunday, the first day of the week, and here these disciples are, these two, walking together. And um, as, they walk, as they walk together, in verse 14, the Bible says they talked together of all things which had happened. That's me speaking of the death of Christ, his trial, his arrest, uh, the accusations made against him and his death. Verse 15, and it came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them. So here these two are walking along the road to Emmaus, and the Lord Jesus himself is approaching them, and he joins them in their journey. The Bible says that as uh, in verse 16, their eyes were holding that they should not know him. So they did not recognize him. 
And he said unto them, in verse 17, What manner of communications are these that ye have one to another as ye walk and are sad? So here are the disciples. Uh, we continue to see this theme of their sadness. And he wants to know, what is this that you guys are talking about? And so they explained to him that Jesus, who, with whom they had placed their hope and trust, had been accused and arrested and tried and condemned and crucified. In verse number 22, as they're speaking concerning this, they continue in their testimony and they say to Jesus, yea, and certain women also of our company, that's the disciples, made us astonished, which were early at the sepulcher. So he's speaking here, or they're speaking of Mary and Mary and Salome. And verse 23, and when they found not his body, they came saying that they had also seen a vision of angels which said he was alive. And certain of them which were with us went to the sepulcher and found it even so as the women had said, but him they saw not. Verse 25, then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. So here Jesus confronts these two on the road to Emmaus with their own unbelief. They had heard the reports that Jesus had arisen from the dead. And as they're sharing with Jesus, not knowing it was Jesus, all the events, he begins to open to them the scriptures. He begins to speak to them concerning the things of himself. And he says to them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken. And the question comes to us this morning, why is it that we find it so hard to believe? Jesus is the risen Savior. He is the Son of God. And friend, I want you to know this morning, in the midst of all that we're dealing with in our nation, all the division, all of the uncertainty, what we're dealing with with our uh, health crisis in America, may I say to you that we serve a risen Savior. All that you're dealing with in your home and in your family and in your personal life, every crisis and every struggle, and many of you are dealing with those, the disappointments of relationships or maybe children astray, whatever the case may be in your life, may I say to you this morning that we serve a risen Savior. He is alive. And as the risen Savior, he has ascended and he has assumed his place and taken his place at the right hand of the throne of God where he ever liveth to make intercession for us. He is touched with the feeling of our infirmities. He was in all points tempted like as we are, yet without sin, we serve a risen Savior this morning. That ought to give us hope. That ought to give us hope, not only for the life to come, but in the life that we now live. Because we have the indwelling presence and the power of the Holy Ghost in us, we are more than conquerors through him that loved us. I want to tell you, friend, we have a hope that is more sure and more steadfast than anything we see in this world. We serve a risen Savior. Why is it, why is it that we're so slow to believe? 
Uh, the Lord rebukes the disciples here and he reproves them saying, I have told you, I have testified to you, I have taught you that these things must come to pass. And the scriptures have testified that these things must come to pass and now they have come to pass and I am alive. I have arisen from the dead and yet you do not believe. And so the Bible tells us that these two on the road to Emmaus, their eyes were later opened as they broke bread with Jesus. And they said in verse 32 of Luke 24, they said, and they rose up, or, or excuse me, in verse 32, and they said one to another, did not our heart burn within us while he talked with us, by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures? And they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the 11 gathered together. And then that were with him saying, the Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. So when these two on the road to Emmaus came to the upper room to where the disciples were, when they walked in the room, they heard somebody say, the Lord is risen and he's appeared to Peter. Now the disciples are still not believing this. And then walks in the two who had been on the road to Emmaus. And having heard that, this is what they said in verse 35. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. And as they thus spake, Jesus himself stood in the midst of them and saith unto them, Peace be unto you. But they were terrified and affrighted and supposed that they had seen a spirit. And he said unto them, Why are you troubled? Maybe that's a question he would ask us this morning. Why are you troubled? And why do thy thoughts arise in your heart? Behold my hands and my feet, that it is myself. Handle me and see. For a spirit hath not flesh and bones as ye, have, as ye see me have. And when he had thus spoken, he showed them his hands and his feet. And while they yet believed not, notice that, and while they yet believed not for joy, and wondered, he said unto them, Have you here any meat? And they gave him a piece of broiled fish and of honeycomb, and he took it and did eat before them. And he said unto them, These are the words which I spake unto you while I was yet with you, that all things must be fulfilled which were written in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. Here's the key. Notice it in verse 45. Then opened he their understanding that they might understand the Scriptures. And he said unto them, Thus it is written, and thus it behooved Christ to suffer and to rise from the dead the third day, and that repentance and remission of sins should be preached in his name among all nations, beginning at Jerusalem. You see, he appeared to them. He appeared to them, and when he did, he confronted them because of their unbelief. And we find ourselves, before we get too harsh, before we become too critical of the disciples, do we not find ourselves languishing through life oftentimes in unbelief? Wringing our hands, wondering what it is we're going to do, lamenting the circumstances of our situation when we serve a risen Savior. The Lord thereby proves to them his glorious resurrection. He opens to them the scriptures, and they understand the scriptures. You see, we will not preach effectively those things which we are not persuaded of convincingly. And maybe it is this morning that we do not preach because we do not really believe. 
May God help us. We've been silent far too long, have we not? This world desperately needs to hear the message of the gospel. And may God help us as his people. I, I, I think I consider another question. Do, do we live in the reality of the resurrection? Do we live as if that really happened and we really believe it to be true? Do we recognize that he indwells us, his spirit is in us? Do we understand that while we watch our world and our nation falling apart, that we have a, a city uh, which have foundations whose builder and maker is God? Do we live in the reality of the resurrection or do we languish in unbelief? He confronted them because of their unbelief. Here's the second thing we note this morning. He commissioned them. Now, having proved to them beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was the risen Savior, having proved it convincingly, he now commissions them to go out and preach the message of the gospel. Now, notice in verse 15, he said unto them, Go ye into all the world. That's all of the geography. That's everything, every place, every nation that you can imagine go into all the world and preach the gospel. Not only in every place, but to every person. He says, preach the gospel to every creature. Every person needs to hear the message, the soul-saving message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. And God has commissioned his church to proclaim that message. The only reason that we have as a people to be here this morning, the only reason that this building was built and the school was established and we have met as a church since 1941 and other churches have met throughout the uh, church history, the only reason that we have for this, uh, the only purpose that we have for existing is the faithful proclamation of the gospel of Jesus Christ. This is what we're here to do. And if we do all kinds of other things and neglect to do this thing, then we have failed miserably in the mission that has been given to us. We are here to preach the gospel to every creature. And that's the commission. And by the way, that commission is not given to a select few Christians. That commission is given to all of us. What a wonderful opportunity we have right now here at Christmas to, to, to declare the message of the gospel. What, what a great privilege it is to know the Lord in these times when people, uh, are, their hearts are filled with fear and uncertainty. We who know the Lord and have the truth of his gospel can make it plain and proclaim it. We can arm ourselves with gospel tracts. We can tell people about the Lord. We can send Christmas cards and put tracts inside those cards. We can write heartfelt notes. We can speak to people about what the Lord has done for us on the job, in the community, in our neighborhood. What an opportunity we have. Next Sunday night, we'll have a music presentation here, and a lot of work is being done for that. Uh, we are trying to encourage people uh, to watch. We're going to live stream that. We have uh, we've put together some invitations and invited people in the community to, if, no, if for nothing else or because of the health situation, at least to join us online. We want people to hear the message. 
and we know that many will watch and view a musical presentation. And what an opportunity we have. Some of you can share that. We'll put some information out about that on our Facebook posts, and you can share that uh, with others. You can invite them to watch online and to be a part of that. We'll give the message of the gospel that evening. There are many, many things that we can do, even, even in the midst of this situation, uh, to give the gospel. May we recognize that this is what we're here to do. There's been much talk about what is essential in these hours. I want to tell you that the church is essential, and the message of the gospel is essential. And while we are surely concerned about the health of people, let me tell you that the soul of a man is much more valuable than his health. And his eternal destiny, whether it's in heaven or in hell, is much more important uh, than physical health. And may God help us, who are the stewards of the mysteries of the gospel of Christ, to invest and to pour into the lives of people who so desperately need to hear the gospel. Now, this commission comes with a promise. It's a twofold promise. The first promise is the promise of souls saved. Notice in verse 16, he that believeth and is baptized shall be saved, but he that believeth not shall be damned. The Lord Jesus now, having demonstrated his power over death, having verified the claims of his deity, having demonstrated that he is the author and finisher of our faith, that he is the resurrection and the life, he commissions us to go into all the world and preach the gospel, and as we preach it, we can proclaim it in faith, knowing that many who hear it will believe. They'll be saved. And the Apostle Paul tells us in the book of Romans that they cannot believe unless they have heard the message of the gospel. And therefore, it is incumbent upon us, the church, the pillar and ground of the truth, to proclaim the essential message of this hour, and that's the message of the gospel. And when people hear it, they'll be saved. So how shall they believe? Except they hear. And how shall they hear? Except there's a preacher. And how shall they preach? Except they be sent. And I want to tell you that here in, in these verses, these closing verses of Mark, the Lord, with authority and with power, deputizes his church and sends them into the uttermost parts of the earth. And some of you will never go to the uttermost parts of the earth, but you can go to the other, uttermost parts of Hickory. And it's an interesting thing how that God has brought the world to Hickory. We have the largest population of Hmong people on the east coast of the United States, right here in Hickory. An unreached group. We are thankful to have families in our church who are Hmong. We're thankful to have a, an opportunity in Brother Fernando and how God is using him to reach our Spanish-speaking community. We're thankful that souls have come from all over the world to this little place. Why did God bring them here? So they could hear the soul-saving message of the gospel. He said, if you go, people will be saved. Lives will be changed. Sin will be forgiven. A home in heaven will be secured. What more could we ask for in this world? There's nothing that means more to God than the soul of a man. And nothing should mean more to us. Souls will be saved. In fact, not only do we see that souls will be saved, but there's a warning here. He that believeth not shall be damned. If you, hearing the gospel, 
hearing the message of God's love, reject that message. There's a warning for you that you will spend an eternity separated from God in an awful place called hell, a place where the the fire, the flame is not quenched, and the worm dieth not. And God, in love, sent his son to die for you to rescue you from that. He demonstrated through his earthly life that he was the son of God. He made the payment for your sin on the cross and he arose out of the grave on the third day and he verified to all of us that he is who he says he is. What arrogance, what foolishness it is for us to compare any other religion or any other figure to Jesus Christ. None other is comparable. There is no other name given under heaven, given among men, whereby we must be saved but the name of Jesus Christ. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man cometh unto the Father but by me. And people need to hear that message. The promise of souls saved. And by the way, this... This verse does not teach the doctrine of baptismal regeneration. It does not teach us that we have to be baptized to be saved. What we must do is believe. In fact, he says, he that, uh, in verse number 16, he that believeth not shall be damned. But what this verse does teach us about baptism is that a believer in the Lord Jesus Christ will be gladly baptized. Romans 10, 11, the scripture saith, whosoever believeth on him shall not be ashamed. Baptism is an outward sign of an inward work that God has done in your life. And if you have trusted the Lord but not followed him in believer's baptism, what is the reservation in your heart? There's the promise of soul saved. There's the promise that signs would follow. Note these signs. We see them in verse 17. And these signs shall follow them that believe. In my name shall they cast out devils. He said, I will give you power to cast out devils. They shall speak with new tongues. We saw that fulfilled in Acts chapter number 2. When at Pentecost, people gathered from all over the world. They heard the disciples, once they were filled with the Holy Spirit, speak uh, in, in the languages of those who were there. The message of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They shall speak with new tongues. They shall take up serpents. We understand in, in Acts chapter 28, when the apostle Paul was in Melita, they were building a fire after the shipwreck. And as they built the fire, he was casting sticks into the fire and a viper, a snake lunged at him out of the fire and clutched onto his arm, biting him. And the Bible says that the apostle Paul shook that serpent off of him into the fire. There was no harm that came to him. The Bible says, and if they drink any deadly thing, it shall not hurt them. And they shall lay hands on the sick and they shall recover. Here, here what is revealed to us is that those who believe the message of the resurrection and believe the message of the gospel will go forward preaching the gospel and these signs will verify that they have the message that I want to deliver to you. This is what the Lord is saying to us. You see, this first century church was, a, was living in a transitional a period, a transitional time. You and I have a Bible. It's complete. We have 39 Old Testament books. We have 27 New Testament books. But when the church was in its infancy, there were no New Testament books. They were being written in that time. Now, there were other false 
prophets who were writing books as well, trying to lead people astray. By the way, the devil is always behind that, right? He wants to confuse us. He wants to cast doubt in our mind concerning the word of God. So God says, I'm going to verify my apostles through these sign gifts. And we understand that these sign gifts have come to an end because the scripture has now been fully revealed. That which is perfect has come. That which is complete, that is the word of God. We have therefore the word of God and the sign gifts that verified who the apostles and the prophets are have ceased. And we put our faith and trust completely in the finished revelation of God's word. But he says, when you preach the gospel, souls are going to be saved and signs will follow. By the way, if you've received Jesus as your Savior, there ought to be a sign in your life. There ought to be some evidence. There ought to be a change in your heart and in your life. There ought to be some new desires. There ought to be putting away of some old sinful habits. There ought to be a humility and a spirit about you that exemplifies that of Jesus Christ. You see, he confronted the disciples for their unbelief. And he commissioned disciples to preach the gospel. And then lastly, he continued with the disciples to confirm his word. Notice in verse 19, So then after the Lord had spoken unto them, he was received up into heaven and sat on the right hand of God, and they went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. You see, after his resurrection, Jesus ascended up into the heavens. But he said, I'm leaving so I can send you a comforter. I'm going to send you my indwelling presence and indwelling power in the person of the Holy Spirit. And he dwells within us. And as we go with the gospel track, as we go with our testimony, as we go to invite somebody to listen to a gospel presentation or to invite them to attend a church service, there's a precious partner that we have working with us. Can I tell you who it is? It's Jesus. He said, I will never leave thee nor forsake thee. So I can go boldly. I can go confidently, even though I don't have a degree in theology or I may not be well-versed in every question and debate that may come to me as I try to witness to somebody. I'll tell you what I do have, something better than a degree, something better than that knowledge. I have the presence and person of the Lord Jesus who is with me, and he has promised that he will use me as I proclaim his message. What more could you want? You know, none of us like to do something we are a little uh, fearful of, uh, when we're alone. We always want somebody to go with us. I want to tell you, when you're doing the work of God, you are never alone. He is always with you. They went forth and preached everywhere, the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. Not only is he present, but he is powerful. He's powerful. You see, in those three days between his death and his resurrection. In those moments when they believed he was dead and even though they heard reports of his resurrection, they still doubted. In those moments, 
as far as they were concerned, the message of the gospel had stopped. But when he appeared to them, and he confronted them because of their unbelief, and he commissioned them, he said, I want you to know my work is not finished. I'm going to heaven, and I'm going to leave you to do it. Now the question comes this morning, will you and I carry it out? We can have meetings, we can have socials, we can have all kinds of uh, functions to entertain one another, but if we are not preaching the message of the gospel to a lost and dying world, we are not being obedient to Jesus. So the question comes, is it a matter of confrontation for us this morning? Do we believe? Do we have faith? Are we obedient to his commission? And are we continuing to proclaim his message? Isn't it amazing how the devil uses things to distract us? To pull us off course, to get us consumed with ourself or with our personal agendas, and to forget what he's given us to do. To use the circumstances of a pandemic or the political upheaval of a nation and uncertainty of a future, the troubles of our life, to get us to mourn and weep and forget that we have a risen Savior. And greater is he that is in us than he that is in the world.